episode number 20, William Schmuck. All right, cut the edge of stage. Great. All right, color frost. Check. One, two, three. Check. Stand by, please. Touch to half. Touch out. Letting cues one through ten. And welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. And I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and this week I'm speaking to William Schmuck, who's, going to, who's uh, the head of design down at the Shaw Festival. Uh, first, I wanted to remind you that uh, the Patreon account is still up. It's true. A few of you have actually uh, decided to support the podcast. I appreciate that. Uh, you're receiving this probably at the beginning of September. You're downloading this on iTunes or your favorite uh, podcast, uh, podcatcher software. Um, of course, people who uh, had signed up for the Patreon uh, account to, to uh, support the Title Block uh, podcast have received this uh, a week and a half or so early. Uh, so there's a little perk. So uh, please... Um, while you have a chance, while you're listening to this, just go to patreon.com forward slash the title block podcast, all one word, and uh, click on one of those little buttons so I can continue to get these out. Uh, and if I get enough uh, people signed up, that's about uh, 20 or 30 of you, uh, then I'll start putting out episodes uh, out twice a month. Uh, and just like this month, if you do support us, you'll be getting episodes a bit earlier than everybody else. Uh, and they'll also be um, uh, ad free, more or less. I mean, I don't have any ads, but I won't be. Uh, you know, stopping to bug you in the middle of the podcast like I will do, yes, in this one, just to remind you to go click on that button. Um, so there's that. Uh, and thank you for those who have already uh, jumped on the bandwagon and, uh, and chosen to support the Title Block podcast. I really appreciate your support. Let me just digress here just for one second uh, and give you some thoughts on somebody we've lost in the theater community this month here in August 2015. Uh, just uh, a few days ago, right now I'm recording this on the 27th of August, uh, we lost a dear man uh, in the industry named Kevin Ryan. Kevin was uh, a technical director at the National Arts Center in Ottawa. I worked with him down at the Blythe Festival earlier in my career in the 90s when he was the uh, production manager down there. We will miss him dearly. Uh, he uh, died of a tragic illness uh, and um, quite young. He was only 44. Um, leaves his wife, Amanda Baumgartner, and two beautiful children uh, behind him. We're all quite sad. Uh, it was a very touching memorial. And I just wanted to remember him here on the podcast. Um, thank you for indulging me for that. Uh, he was a great man. Kevin uh, was always ready with a smile, no matter what problem you brought to him, <laughs> uh, and was always ready to uh, tackled it with uh, with a plum, and uh, you know found solutions uh, far ahead of uh, of your own distress when you're working with him as a uh, as a tech. So um, here's just us remembering uh, Kevin Ryan, TD at the National Arts Center. And so now I turn to my interview with. Mr. William Schmuck. We spoke in his office in May of 2015 this year uh, at uh, the Shaw Festival. Um, he grew up in Kitchener, where uh, I'm from, uh, and he trained at the National Theatre School in the late 70s, so that's his sort of pedigree. Uh, we have a great conversation about um, uh, the show he designed here at Shaw this year, one of the shows he designed at Shaw, his general philosophy, and of course, uh, his uh, some of his own personal history. Uh, these episodes were a bit shorter. Uh, they weren't the sort of full two hours, sort of full-throated or, or deep dive into somebody's life. Uh, we had a bit of less time, but uh, I think it's still interesting, and we get uh, a lot covered anyway. So uh, remember to check the show notes for any kind of links uh, to theater history uh, and some background on stuff we sort of gloss over. You can find that at thetitleblock.com uh, under the Episodes tab. Uh, and that's it. So here is my interview with uh, William Schmuck. And remember, if you like the show, go to patreon.com forward slash thetitleblockpodcast. Thank you. Oh, Schmuck, welcome to the Title Block. And thank Indeed. you very much for joining me here at the Shaw Festival. <laughs> in it's my exciting. office. In your office. <laughs> joining me in your office. That's right. It's very convenient. Um, so let's start off the conversation with, uh, with a little bit of context. You, where did you grow up, first of all? Kitchener Waterloo, oh, my hometown. <laughs> we share. I think we went to the same high school together. St. together, but yes, yes. I went to St. Jerome's. Yes, yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. That's a long time ago. 
Um, when did you first decide that you were going to go into theater? Like, what made that choice? Did you have any kind of event, or did it just sneak up on you? You know, uh, for me, I knew it very, very, very young. I, 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 I mean, as much as you can know that, but I... Um, you know, Stratford not being far away and uh, uh, living in Kitchener-Waterloo, I just, uh, I'd always loved art and I always loved theater. And I, I just thought, boy, if there could be a job that was right in the middle of those two, that's what I'd want to do. Right. So fairly early on, that's um, kind of how I sort of charted everything and, and tried to make that happen. And I didn't realize that that's not usual for people, that sometimes people have to really find what it is they want to do, but uh, it always just seems so obvious to me. So I didn't know exactly in, you know, between theater and art where I would be, but um, um, design seemed to be the the thing that, you know, uh, required that you draw, that you were visually, um, you know, um, expressing yourself visually. So that's, you know, that seemed a natural fit. Great. And did you have any mentors at the time to help you make that decision or did you just go off and not not mentors at that age I wouldn't say I mean I had great teachers and you know I was in amateur theater um Alan Lund uh, from Charlottetown Festival directed some um productions of the KW musical productions and I was in those and you know uh, I always knew I didn't want to be an actor I mean I enjoyed performing and I enjoyed all of that but that didn't seem to you know, I was more distracted by why are they wearing those things, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, if, boy, if this was up on a level, it would work so much better, mm-hmm. you know, so I was always outside of it, even though I, I, you know, enjoyed participating in it. The other thing I always, uh, I was, I was always done with it by the time it opened, you know, I loved the rehearsal process, but wasn't so crazy about, you know, the three weeks of performing something. So, um, it just seemed to be, um, um, you know, the, the, apotheosis seemed to be the opening and then that was done for me. So, uh, I kind of knew that acting wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. What was your next step then? Did you go to uh, theater school or to art school or? I went to university, University of Waterloo Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I took art and English and history and art history courses and all of that. But I, I wasn't satisfied that it was focused enough into the area that I wanted. You know, growing up, growing up in the 60s, to get a classical education was hard because everything, you know, everything was um, exploring other ways. You know, the, 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 the establishment was not what we were, we were embracing at that point. So all the art courses and things were, were often taught by professors who were doing their own work, and it wasn't really based on any kind of... Uh, um, classical structure Mm -hmm. and you know in order to draw well in order to understand art history and all of that it requires a a, a kind of rigor and you know and I I was I was hungry for that Mm -hmm. even though I was interested in all those other things I was I was hungry for that so um, I started um, looking around at other schools and the National Theatre School was somewhere I'd heard of before Mm -hmm. and um, I thought oh well they they only take so few students a year that you know maybe I'll try to get in and you know finish my degree later or like you know I'll I'll be working on my degree until I get in Mm -hmm. but I was fortunate enough to get in so um (laughs) that kind of changed plans a bit Mm -hmm. um and um yeah so I got in and it was great I mean I you know it's funny I've told the story so many times but I was the only anglophone in my class usually at NTS they take um equal numbers of English and French students but when I went, it was during the referendum in the, uh, you know, 78. I was there from 78. I was there during the golden time of 78 to 81. You know, the Nancy Polk, Joe Ziegler, Shauna McKenna, Colm Fior, Christina Padubiak, yeah. uh, you know. So, um, uh, but, you know, in my year, I was the only Anglophone. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was scary, terrifying and hard, but really wonderful mm-hmm. because you were exposed to something so in. You know, you are immersed in a, a whole other culture, even though many of my colleagues, you know, the students in my class spoke French, it, it, um, it still was a French class, you know, yeah. so um, I, I gained a lot from that experience. And what about the experience of coming from Kitchener with the Stratford model as your sort of base? Did you do a lot of, did you see a lot of theater in Toronto or did you, was there a lot of touring stuff that came through that gave you an idea of what Canadian theater was I, I think, yeah, I don't think I had much of a sense of Canadian theater as a, as a entity. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd seen a few things at Stratford from school, you know, and I was very aware of it being there because even if you weren't seeing things, you were aware of what they were doing and, you know, it was always in the paper and, uh, you know, so you could, uh, 
and, and, and you know, there were lots of ways to research it and find out what it was. And, and, uh, so it, it had a real presence in my mind, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a real sense of what Canadian theater was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, you get there very quickly once you go to theater school, sure. uh, even though, uh, you know, it wasn't very English, the, the, the connections that I was making, but, um, um, yeah, I, you know, I knew, I knew that there was a career out there somewhere else, you know, than, than necessarily Montreal, but there might be something in Montreal too. Mm-hmm. And so what happened when you, um, did you actually finish your degree at Waterloo or did you just go to the theater school? And no, I just, I just went to, I never looked back. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so when you got out of theater school, what was your first opportunity? Like, did you start working as a, as a as a tech or a craftsperson, or did you start designing right away? I was incredibly lucky when I graduated. Um, I, it, I, after the year, the year I graduated, um, I, I had some friends that were actors that were working at Stratford. Mm-hmm. And um, I met um, Clayton Shields, who was the, was the wig master at that time. And he was very good friends with a designer um, in London, Ontario at the Grand called Jack King. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And um, they were looking for a scenic artist at the time for the Grand Theatre. Mm-hmm. And um, I had always loved painting and I, you know, had developed that as a child and took lots of classes and, you know, did all that. So um, while I didn't know all that much about scenic painting, except from what I'd learned at theatre school from the, you know, the hands-on practical part of doing the shows, uh, he, he really encouraged me to get in touch with Jack and go in for an interview and show my portfolio and blah, blah, blah. So I did. And um, I was very lucky to get the job as the scenic artist at, at the Grand. And there were some design opportunities as part of that. He was very aware that that's really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I got um, a, costumes on one of the main stages and uh, productions and uh, uh, some studio shows. So it was terrific. I mean, I couldn't have had a better launch, uh, you know, out of theater school than that. And, um, Jack, uh, and his partner, Ed Cotenin, um, who were both uh, there in London. Um, I, I, I think of his mentors, you know, I, I think also of, of Francois Rabot, you know, at, um, at, uh, NTS, uh, as a mentor and, um, Jack and Ed very much so, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, um, you know, talking, giving me the tools to, to solve my own problems and create my own way of doing things. But, um, they were also very good painters and very based on a, a strong scenery scenic, um, from a strong scenic experience. So, you know, it, it, it was a really good fit mm-hmm. for me and Francois, Barbeau, excuse me, Francois Barbeau, uh, not a set designer in his own right necessarily, but much more a costume designer and, and so generous, to me when I was at theater school there, just, um, giving me opportunities and, um, you know, um, he's such a talented man, really. Yeah. I, I spoke with Ed in, um, in January, we had a nice conversation for the title block. Um, and we, we, um, we didn't talk about Jack King a lot, um, cause we had a lot of stuff to talk about. What, what right. were your reminiscences? Cause I know that, I mean, Jack King died in the late eighties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, what was he like? And, and, uh, as a person and as a designer and he was hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he was very, very funny, very smart, not, not educated in a, in a big formal way. You know, he was from Chatham, I think, Ontario, but, um, definitely had a, uh, you know, as part of the Stratford festival in the early days mm-hmm. and, and, um, was um, Leslie Hurry's assistant. Mm-hmm. And definitely you could see the influence of Leslie Hurry's style on Jack. And um, um, J- Jack had a very strong design sense and, and a lot of confidence. And he knew, um, he knew what he wanted to do with plays when he was working on them, you know, that, that, that he was driven from, um, you know, a deep sense of, of what he wanted to express. And I always, I always, um, admired that. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, well, I guess, um, I graduated in 81, so I was at the grand at 82. So, I mean, I didn't know, I mean, it's interesting you say that now and I, I think of him as such a giant in my life, but I didn't know him that long mm-hmm. when, when I really think about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still know Ed to this day, but, uh, that is interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's well, thank you very much for that. I think one of the things I really like to cover on the title block is the, is the history of Canadian theater. And there's so many people that we've lost, especially, you know, it's funny in the, um, in the era of the internet where I can mm. just search for a Bill Schmuck and there's like, there's, and I can go on the, in, in my uh, library at uh, U of T and, and check uh, the newspaper list that I can find out everything I want to know about you. Uh, that's at least in print, right. uh, but quite a bit. Right. Um, people who we lost prior to 1995 really don't have an existence. Right. I mean, they exist in newspapers in some respects, but nobody's writing about them or writing about their histories. And so we're really losing them. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. For oh, well, um, welcome. I appreciate it. Uh, okay. So you do, you, uh, uh, you started at the grand, mm-hmm. um, and when, uh, how long were you there for one or two seasons? You said one season, one season, one season. And then another fortunate thing happened. There was a restaurant in, in London, Ontario called, um, the Latin quarter. I don't know if you, <laughs> okay. you know of it. It, it. it was, you know, it was an old style sort of 50s, 60s, theme restaurant, um, kind of a New Orleans-y courtyard mm-hmm. feel. Um, uh, it was owned by a, a band leader, Johnny Downs. Okay. And um, there was always, a, you know, just an edge of showbiz about, about the place. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to refresh his restaurant. And, and he, he, he was pretty committed to the theme idea that he had. Mm-hmm. But he, he wanted to sort of bring it a little bit more up to date. So... I was given the gig to do it, and um, uh, you know uh, it was a good fit because I could paint it and sculpt it, and you know do because it was a theatrical um, solution that he was looking for for the interior. So I did that for a few months and gave me enough money to uh, go to Europe, and uh, I went to Europe for a while and uh, did the grand tour, and um, it was wonderful. And then um, right after that, when I came back, I. I believe the national, I I had done, um, I had really now done a season of scene painting at the Grand, so I knew now what I didn't know, Mm -hmm. right? So I um, uh, got some, a grant to uh, go to the National Ballet and learn scene painting from George Schlugel, who was a a very um, um, gifted scenic artist Mm -hmm. with the ballet. He trained there, he trained at the ballet in Germany, but had been that all his entire life from his childhood onwards. So he was a real master. Um, they were working on um, a new um, ballet of Eugene Onegin mm-hmm. at the time. So uh, I went and I uh, apprenticed on that and they kept me there. And I did, um, I think, about four years off and on there, um, developing, you know, my skills. And um, I love the ballet. I love opera. I love the big uh, canvas of, of that kind of presentation. Mm-hmm. And um, I really learned a tremendous amount, uh, you know, solidifying what I'd learned in theater school and what I had learned at the Grand, but, you know, uh, giving me even that much more. So I was quite confident by the time I finished that, that I had that, you know, and um, I was um, starting to get a lot of work um, teaching universities, doing their productions, um, a little bit of regional theater, um, you know, and things started to move forward, you know, from that. Mm-hmm. And just giving it uh, the, the context uh, of those experiences in today, do you think that people have the opportunity uh, to, to do the same kind of to do the same type of training? Like it seems like and Christina had mentioned this as well that we're losing certain uh, disciplines to uh, you know part of its lack of budget. Like nobody can, very few people can commission a large drop or a trompe l'oeil. Pross or something, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, do you think that those skills are being lost, or do we have? I mean, Shaw seems like to be a repository, and Stratford seems to be a repository. Maybe the ballet, National Ballet, uh, are the last kind of places where those skills are still being maintained. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, are there opportunity for new people to learn those skills these days still, or is it something that's pretty exclusive? Um, I think if you want to learn scene painting, there are opportunities to find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, there's less of it happening. Um, um, but you know, where it is happening, the people, um, where it is happening, the people are, uh, I don't want to say they're more experienced, but it's, it's, um, it's very solid, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, um, not to say that when I was just starting out, there wasn't that, but there, there, um, there were more people that were doing it that weren't as good as, as you know what I mean? Right. So, um, because there was more of it, it, it never got to a, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, when there's more of something, sometimes the expertise is not there in the same way because people take it a little bit for granted. Yeah. Whereas now there's so little of it and it doesn't seem to be 
in style in the same way. So if you're going to do a drop, it better be spectacular, you know, or, you know, uh, Opera Atelier, and I didn't get to mention my connection there, but Opera Atelier still does all of that mm -hmm. magnificent um, scene painting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, after leaving the, the ballet and, you know, starting my design career, I started to work at the um, Opera Atelier in Toronto, a small Baroque opera mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And um, I had all the goods that they needed to do that stuff. So um, it, was a, it was a good fit for me and a good opportunity. And um, um, it was just timing, you know. Uh, so I did their um, first um, Magic Flute, Don Giovanni, all of those. And, you know, at the, um, some of them were at Mer uh, the Princess, of, not Princess of Wales, the... Um, the Winter Garden or the... No, uh, the... <laughs> Famous, famous, the, the, you know, the Royal Alex, the Royal Alex, <laughs> the Royal my Alex. gosh, it's okay. The Royal Alex, uh, also <laughs> some at the Winter Garden as well. Yes. But, um, they were, they were the kind of, the kind of work I absolutely wanted to do in those kinds of theaters. Mm -hmm. Um, now that isn't to say I didn't have interests of other kinds of theater that are totally opposite all of that, mm -hmm. but, but that was kind of the beginning of my career. What drove me to learn all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, should I just keep on the trajectory here? <laughs> well, sure. I was. I also like to mention that uh, having seen, uh, you know, several of the pieces that you've done here, you can tell those influences uh -huh. from that classical training. Because when you do a period piece, it's. I mean, the scale is large, uh -huh. uh, but it's also detailed and. Like it's from that era. Right. You, 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 we know you know the material. Right. Right. You're okay. not just trying to make it up. Right. <laughs> uh, which is helpful, I guess, to be you want to drink those plays at such a level. Um, no, that's great. So let's. Uh, I want to get sort of get to the Shaw. At this point, you're still doing a lot of scenic art, right? Yes, okay. and started and doing university teaching and and you know like doing shows at universities and you know that kind of stuff. When, when would you? When did you sort of start exclusively doing design work and leaving the scenic artwork? in the, in the past? Um, well, I guess around, uh, I guess around, um, the early nineties or the late eighties, I guess. Oh, I also went to the CBC. I didn't mention that for ah. five or six years. Uh, I worked in the wardrobe department there as an assistant designer because mm. I wanted to see if, if television and film is what I wanted to do. You know, I was curious about all of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, I realized it wasn't. It it was fun to do, but it, it it was too distant. You know, as a as a stage designer, you get to decide what the audience sees when the curtain goes up. Mm -hmm. On a film, you're you supply possibilities for the the director of photography and the director to decide, and they can decide fairly late on, or they can change their mind about something. Mm -hmm. So it just felt a little bit too removed for me. You know, I, I didn't feel as vital in the process. Now I'm sure to be an art director on a film that is satisfying, but that didn't seem to be, that wasn't pulling me the way the stage was. I always loved the immediacy of the stage and, 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 and the, um, you know, the fact that it's right there in front of you. I just thought that was more interesting. Now you started, you were the, you became the head of design at Shaw in 1996. Yeah. So it's only about 15 years after you left National Theatre School or graduated from National Theatre School, right? That mm -hmm. seems to be I don't know. That seems to be a bit young. Is that yeah odd? <laughs> so maybe, like it, well, I don't know. It's the theater, so uh, you know. So uh, you know what is what is expect. You know what is what people expect, and what is odd. Yeah. It was a great. It, it, I mean, I came here in '93. My first production that I worked on was *Gentlemen Prefer Blondes*, mm -hmm. uh, which is you know, a musical, a lot of fun, uh, and uh, I, I seem to have a lot of success when I got here and it just seemed to be somewhere that I wanted to be and somewhere that seemed to want me. So it was a good, a good marriage of my skills and, and the kind of plays I like to do. Um, so by the time, uh, my predecessor, Cameron Porteous decided to retire, he want, he was doing much more film and television at that time. Um, Christopher Newton asked me if I would be interested and I, yes, I would be interested. Um, you know, I, I think it, um, uh, I, I had all the skills to do the job. I think, um, I had the experience of, uh, uh, you know, a few seasons under my belt here, knowing how the operation worked. You know, it is an institution. It is a, it is a, a, a big company. And regardless of what 
the approach is on any one play, there is an overarching um, uh, structure that these plays have to fit into. And you want to make sure, well, you know, what is useful to be uh, or to contribute as head of design is to make sure that that is functioning. Mm -hmm. That from the point of view of the artists that are doing the work, they can do the work uh, and, and be effective in what they're trying to do and be successful in what they're trying to do, as opposed to, say, just a production director who is looking at budgets and schedules and the overall flow and, you know, all of those things. So it's, you know, you're, the two jobs are working tandem to, to do that. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, um, I loved it. I found it very challenging and very interesting, you know, because all of a sudden I was being exposed to all the other side of everything that I always wondered about but never knew. Um, and you can get a bit too much of that at a certain point. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, it, it was very, uh, and, and still is to this day, very challenging. And here I am interrupting you in the middle of this uh, interview. Yeah, which I think is going quite well so far. Uh, just to remind you to go to patreon.com forward slash the title block podcast uh, and give your support to this show. Remember, uh, it does take, um, you know, about six or eight hours, uh, you know, with travel and the original interview and, and, uh, and editing, uh, et cetera, to get this show up, in the, uh, uh, up on the website. Uh, and I uh, really uh, would love to get more than one episode up a month, uh, but given that time, it's a bit of I do have to give up some other stuff. So I'm looking for your support to uh, to give me the incentive, certainly to do, to do that. Uh, I'm also planning on uh, some trips out of Toronto. I want to include, obviously, more designers and, and interview them in person, which always uh, helps. Um, so I want to get to uh, Vancouver. Um, and uh, next year, I wasn't able to go to CITT this year because of that, and I, uh, I need to get your help to get there as well. So I'll be letting you know about those specific trips uh, as we go through the year. Um, but in the meantime, uh, just give a couple bucks. That's all. That's really all it takes. Um, you know, you can feel free to give more if you really uh, if you really want to become a, a really big patron of the program. Um, but go to patreon.com forward slash the title block podcast uh, and give us your support. Thank you so much. And uh, now I'll turn you back to my interview with uh, William Schmuck at the Shaw Festival. All right. So uh, having started in 96, you've been here for now 14 years, 15 years. Well, almost. we're 2016. Right? 20, oh, God. I can't or do math. You've been here for 20, <laughs> almost 20 years. Sam, uh, I was here in 97, so I'm trying to forget the fact that, that was almost 20 years ago as well. Yeah. I think we're all trying to do that. Don't uh, forget the fact that, you know, it's been so long. It's been a bit while. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you've been here for this long period of time. Um, how have things changed since when, when you first got hired to today? I imagine oh, the, the theater. Yeah, the theater in general. Has, not only the Shaw Festival, but the theater in general has changed dramatically. Um, also, the, the entertainment business, like who, who the theater competes with now. We've got... Netflix, we've got, you know, we've always had movies, we've always had um, uh, touring companies, but there's so many, there's so many other options for the entertainment dollar than what there used to be. There used to be Stratford and Shaw and the opera and the ballet mm -hmm. and, you know, um, the Mervishes, you know, the Royal Alex, but there wasn't um, as much as there is today. And there were, you know, uh, so that has changed. That has changed the focus of the Shaw Festival. That's changed how we're seen, you know, um, how people, uh, one of the bigger things is how, how do people produce plays now that is different than, than they did when I first got here. They're, when I came here, we were still at the time of celebrating the well-made play, um, being almost slavishly um, devoted to the intent of the author. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I still think that's pretty important, but I think as, as time moves on, that doesn't seem to be as important to to a lot of young directors, mm -hmm. you know. Now, I think that's fashion. I think that's just what we're in right now. But there's a, a sense of, um, um, you know, always reinventing, which is great because theater does always have to reinvent itself. But I don't know that... I think you have to be careful with that. I think you have to make sure you're doing it better than it was, right? right. And sometimes I, I think there's a sense of... Um, changing it at all regardless and and I you know I, I think that's dangerous but um, certainly there are lots of uh, of plays that the structure is just too um, clunky or 
you know, it became a hit without it being its best version. You know what I mean? Because there, there wasn't, uh, just there, there wasn't as much competition at that time. Plus, uh, you know, as uh, you know, I'm thinking specifically of musicals, you know, musicals stayed for a long period of time in the form that they were. Mm -hmm. And when we go to do them today, they, a lot of their structures seem very clunky. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here at the shop specifically, we reinvent them. We try to find a way to honor what it is, but give it a different focus, give it a different, um, uh, not so much a different structure, but presented in a fresh way that feels that feels modern and, and vital. And that across the board, I mean, I think theater is doing that. Theater is looking at the work in a different way than it used to. It used to um, try to be much more um, in keeping with, not slavishly copying the original production, but the original intent of the production. So that that's you know when when you do that, all things change because you're 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 looking at new technologies, you're looking at um, um, different approaches. Your your um, you know your audience's expectation. I don't know that they have the same kind of expectation. They don't know what they're going to get from show to show. You know, uh, so um, all of those things have changed, and you know a lot of that has come out of technology. Has come out of movies and television that um there are there are ways to move faster through ideas than um what the plays had when they were written so you know we, we're we're always playing with the speed of ideas we we, we had a um a forum a few years ago where we talked about that and we're on you know we have an ongoing conversation about that all the time how is a modern audience going to feel you know looking at this work from 100 years ago 150 years ago has that been the root of the change or the expansion of the mandate then to make sure that you could do stuff that remains relevant to get people sort of indoctrinated into the tradition of theater and then you can hit them with a Shaw, which is a traditional challenging, relevant play, but may not have the same voice as people are used to um, in other cultural contexts? Well, uh, um, you know, Shaw is so smart and so... He, he, he's cons he considered his topic so well and he, you know, in any one of, uh, you read any one of his plays and he hits you over the head quite a few times with what his message is. Mm -hmm. not, and, and, and it's not, it's not, I don't find it boring. I find it um, um, very literate mm -hmm. and they, they're like really smart arguments. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what he's doing. He's, he's got a thesis that he's presenting and it's always social based it's always about problems in society and when you when you start a play from that place it's going to have a different resident resonance and, and trajectory than a play that is just about a plot and characters he is he has dressed up his argument with a plot and characters but the argument is still there and that's what endures in shaw i mean that's what why the plays are so fantastic mm -hmm. Now, a modern audience is not always so um, ready to sit and listen to a long argument. Yeah. Now, they are if they know that's what they're getting. But, you know, a lot of theater people, you know, audiences come from all over and they come to the theater for so many different reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, uh, that's something we consider, too, that, you know, we have to make sure we're giving people what, they, what they're going to want. Um, but uh, I think... Sometimes we struggle um, with Shaw because it is so smart and it is, uh, the style of it is that way. Yet, you know, when you're working on them, actors love it. They love the wordplay. They love the skills they have to develop in order to have those long arcing um, ideas and to, to keep them uh, clear and succinct, but, but also allow their character to develop and express as real people. All of that is just so wonderfully done mm -hmm. and there's so much value in it. Um, and you know, it is always interesting finding ways to update those, those Shaw plays to make them relevant, not necessarily make them modern, but find a fresh way to tell it, you know, um, they sit very well or, or they, they're, um, they lend themselves to that kind of adaptation. Um, as long as you can get the societal, um, surround of what you're doing to be parallel to what the intention of the original was, right. you know, um, but, uh. Yeah, that is one of the reasons we've we've expanded the mandate. Um, I think we just, you know, as time changes and everybody's doing our mandate, <laughs> you know, like if, if if all the other theaters would just not do 
you know, plays between uh, 1850 and 1950, right. we'd be fine. Right. You know, we don't do Shakespeare. So, you know. Well, not a lot happened between 1850 and 1950, so there's yeah. not a lot of choice. Yeah, right? I guess. I guess there, yeah. Um, just, we're gonna get, I want to bring this back to design in a second, but I also wanted to ask about, uh, you've now um, survived <laughs> between <Okay. laughs> two different, like you were brought in by Christopher Newton. That's right. In 96 and worked with him in the early 80s, in the early 90s uh, and transitioned to Jackie Maxwell. Um, how do you find, uh, I mean, when I was here, when Chris was here, it was a very, there was always this quiet competition between Stratford and Shaw. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed being here because all of my friends that work at Stratford, not that it wasn't a creative, vibrant, enjoyable place to be, but there was a different, there was a level of competition at Stratford that I, that at that time that didn't exist here. It seemed like much more of an ensemble, like a family, like we're all in it together at the Shaw Festival. Competition between the artists? Between the artists, yeah. Oh. Like who's going who's gonna to get that role next year? And, and there seemed to be a bit of... I don't want to gossip too much, but there was, it seemed to be like a competition right. down there. And, and, it, and it, and it seemed to be like you had to watch out for yourself. Otherwise, you know, you might find yourself, you know, out not of the there street, anymore, not there <laughs> anymore. Right now. I mean, obviously things change over yeah. time, right? You, you, you know, your time waxes and wanes. Uh, especially at the, at the festivals, but it seemed like there was a, it was a focused, it was, it was focused on the ensemble here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there it was very focused on the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, that seemed to be something that Christopher Newton crafted over a number of years. Um, how have things changed in the 20 years to, to, um, obviously to be, to remain connected to the audience and how they managed to, um, maintain that? What's the difference between, you know, Jackie Maxwell's approach and Christopher Newton's approach, and how have you weathered that? Um, well, uh, um, that's a good question. Um, they're both very smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both, uh, they both love, actually, the mandate that the Shaw Festival is. Um, a lot of the things that you were mentioning in the preamble to this is, is that I think one of the big differences between Stratford and Shaw was that Christopher had been here for 20 Two, 23 years. So when he came into the company in the early 80s, um, the company already existed, but it's where he took the company from the time he arrived until the time he left, which created a kind of consistency and a kind of sense of ensemble that people stayed here a very long time and developed their skills to a very high level. And that there was an understanding of how plays are done or how we wanted to do plays and all of the resources and all of the the vision was going to follow what Christopher had set up and where he was going with it. Um, And he took it to as far as I think he was interested in taking it when he retired, and he had achieved, I think, the things that he had really worked to achieve. Um, So that would be a difference between Stratford and Shaw, that Mm -hmm. that Stratford has artistic directors that changed over every five or six years and had very different ideas about approaching the work. And the company, there were company members that as the change happened would leave, you know, so there wasn't the same sense of security that Christopher had built with his company here. When Jackie came in, she came in at a very um, 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 dynamic time, I would say, you know, 9-11, you know, world event, all the world events that were happening really changed how the world was, you know, Um, uh, and she had to weather all that. And um, she also, you know, when, when the millennium changed, all of a sudden, plays from 1900 seemed so far ago, mm-hmm. where only a couple of years before, they didn't seem that far, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's just funny how time moves, moves on. And it, it's not that they're any less important or any less interesting, but we look at them differently. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Jackie was confronted with that. Um, plus, uh, I think... Um, you know, Jackie being a woman, that influenced her interests as well, you know, with feminism and trying to, um, and Shaw being a feminist, I mean, it was a good fit, you know, in terms of the work and in terms of the ideas. And that was very interesting to Jackie to develop that and to, to um, um, consider all of that in her um, choices that she was making. So the company um, developed and shifted in, in, in a different way. Um, also new playwriting, is something that Jackie wanted to do where under Christopher, we didn't, I don't think we did new, any new work. Um, 
because his focus was elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know? So a, any company over time has to develop in order to stay vital and alive. And I think Jackie took that challenge squarely on and has moved uh, the company forward in, in those ways. Um, you know, how it's, it's funny. The, these are big questions, you know, <laughs> that you're asking. So it's, it's hard to uh, um, come up with a concise uh, bullet point. But, um, you know, I, I, we've, it feels like a much more modern company. Mm-hmm. It feels like a company that um, is, um, well, the Shah has always taken training of young people very seriously. I, I think um, it's um, training more young directors now. You know, I think um, I think as the business changes and uh, the, as the technologies changes change, there's more opportunities for people to um, uh, enter into the Shaw because they have those technologies and those backgrounds. Um, yeah, that's that's a perfectly satisfying answer to me. Uh, now let's bring it back to design. So okay. how has how have these changes impacted? Um, not only the choice, the choice of designers, but but the the individual choices of designers for the for the shows. Like I have um, the you said before that the people are are doing less painted scenery, for mm-hmm. example, and it's more it's more modern, more more projection. Certainly this year, I was talking to Beth Cates and, and Ben Shiesel, mm-hmm. and now this is the first year where you've had a number of projection designers, specific mm-hmm. projection designers in the show used to be that the lighting designer or the set designer would collaborate to come up with like where, <laughs> where the panties were going to be or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And video projection yeah. really wasn't a thing. So now you've got, um, you know, now in several projection designers involved in the, in the process. Uh, is that one, I mean, that's one example of how things have changed, mm-hmm. but how, how else have, has, has the approach to design changed in general over the last 20 years here? In response to those other changes? Well, like I, I, I said previously about the um, slavish kind of um, attention to the intent of the script and the era of the script, I think we take a little more postmodern approach now. And um, not, not across the board, but it's opened up that, that we can do shows out of a specific period and not necessarily put them in another period, but put them in a fantasy or in a period, a collection of periods that suggest... Um, you know, the ideas that you're trying to, to portray. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, I think it's, a, yeah, it's a, it's an opening up a freeing of, of that. Um, we don't do that all the time, but we certainly do it often. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the technologies that you mentioned, I mean, um, I think, I think back when I was first starting, you know, that was the time of the mega musical, you know, mm-hmm. Cats and, and um, Phantom and Les Mis and all of those were, were, were um, what were popular. And I think the big, um, the big spectacle was really what people wanted. I, I think people still want a big spectacle, but they don't want, they want to be able to uh, have that spectacle shrink right down into the, the you know, um, uh, a microcosm, mm-hmm. you know, moment. And um, uh, like a shutter lens, just go right in and, and sit there so that the whole production isn't weighed down by all of this other stuff. But they want to be bowled away as well by it. Mm-hmm. So their expectation for any theater experience is much, you know, broader ranging. And technology allows us to do that. Technology also allows us to show... Um, um, documentary um, images and documentary information. In, in, you can import that into your production and into your presentation. So that that's very exciting and very um, um, researched and what we would do here. So that, that you know, it's allowed all of that mm-hmm. to happen. Um, you know, and with the technology, the cost of doing that is less. And 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 you know, you, we we don't have any more time to tech these things than we've always had, mm-hmm. but you can do a lot of dry teching on your computer. You can sort a lot of problems out before you even hit the stage, which is an amazing, amazing thing. So, you know, the older techniques, they only could be what they were. You know, a scrim was the exciting thing back then because it was transformative. Now we can be transformative in so many different ways. And I, I think that's one of the biggest changes in design. And, and as far as communicating your design, uh, I was talking to Christina earlier about, um, how Kim McDonald does full computer-generated renderings for his costumes and things on Illustrator. Uh, McDonald? McDougal. McDonald. 
and McDonald. Uh, McDonald's. Yeah. yeah, McDonald's. Uh, uh, Morris Panitch and Ken McDonald's. Yes, exactly. Yes, okay. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. Uh, and uh, uh, you guys are all, uh, are you guys still drafting by hand and then the TD? Well, I, I, I don't draft or? by hand. I use AutoCAD. Oh, great. Um, that doesn't stop the TDs from redrawing my drawings, however. But, <laughs> but <of> <laughs> uh, you know, that's natural because what I'm trying to do is, um, you know, create my idea. Mm-hmm. What they're trying to do is break my idea apart and find out how they're going to store it, how they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, make it work with wheels and all of that sort of stuff. So um, I think it's a help that I'd saw the, the document is already in AutoCAD yeah, sure. so they can just adjust it. But um uh, no, I haven't done a. I haven't drafted with a pencil for a long time. <laughs> that's 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 um, yeah. it's very comforting. Now, what about uh, uh, the other thing I'm curious about is there used to be a, a sort of a long tradition, I think, in the past, especially in larger, more lavish productions, of actually doing color renderings. Mm-hmm. Um, now it seems to be more focused on the model. Uh, mm-hmm. Do people still do large color renderings? Of their of the different scenes, or is there sort of rough storyboarding, and then it just becomes a model and uh, I, I think, drafting? I think it depends on the show, and I think it depends on what your approach is going to be. If you're going to be very painterly and very um, graphic, I think doing a, an illustration does work. I mean, it's still, it still it gives you all the information, but you know, it's all about how do people read what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you know, a, a, an artistic rendering can only be considered an idea because there are no feet and inches on it necessarily. Even if the drawings to scale, it, it, you know, it, it could be misinterpreted or um, not interpreted at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, a model is, is really still the best way to, um, to, you know, give an example of what it is going to look like, uh, you know, but even so not, not all directors are able to even interpret a model, like Mm -hmm. interpret the space not everyone is spatial, you know? So, um, it's, um, you know, uh, I personally, I always start from a floor plan and I spend a lot of time with the floor plan. I, um, because with AutoCAD, I can do the floor plan, figure out how it sits, and then uh, I can do my elevations and then I can um, generate a paper model like in a day, you know? So I can, I can work in paper model form and I can make so many changes so quickly. So it, I mean, the AutoCAD to me is just a tool. It's not, it doesn't make me better. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that impact, but it makes me get somewhere faster. Um, you know, it, it, um, because I like to paint, I know what I'm giving up when I'm working in AutoCAD. So I can, um, I, I can still, um, apply my painting to it, but I, um, uh, I just appreciate the technical uh, specificity that mm-hmm. that AutoCAD gives me. Um, you know, and if a show has, has seen changes in technologies and 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 movement, and you know, you have to flip the thing around, it's, nothing's easier than doing that in AutoCAD. Right. You know, where if you're manually drafting, that can take you a long, long time. And then when you get inspiration after a day of drawing, that you go, oh, if I only had move this off center, <laughs> you know, that where, you, you know, your, your, your soul dies a little bit when you've done it all in pencil, but in AutoCAD, it's no big deal. Yeah, you can exactly. just go, okay, I'm going to spend another half hour and just convert all that, you know, over and, and there it is. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a great tool, you know, but it's not, it's not necessary. Like, I don't think you, you have to do it. I, I need to do it now. I couldn't go back, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the specific show. Um, that you're designing, at least one of them. Uh, again, the Moss Heart. What's it called? Light up the sky. Light up the sky. You know, it's not. It's not real famous. Like no. it's not. I've never. I don't even know that I heard of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I may have heard of it and it just didn't stick. Mm-hmm. But um, I've always loved Moss Heart. I mean, a giant in the sort of golden age of Broadway, right? And um, working with George Kaufman and um, all of that. And the play is is just a, is really a love letter to the theater. I mean, if you've ever read his um, autobiography, Act One. I was going to say, yeah, yeah that's yeah. sort of a famous. Is, yeah. a, is yeah. this very similar, or is this based well, it, on that? It's it, it, it's not um, where it's similar is in spirit, and um, you know the the basic premise of the piece is that it's a. Uh, we're in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Boston in 1949, and it's a play that's trying out in Boston. And um, there are all these famous, famous people in it. Uh, not famous characters, but actually all the characters are based on actual famous people, which you can find out who they are. It's not important to know that to enjoy the show. But um, the level of their their success and their fame and the risk that doing this play is for them, because they've... they've um, 
uh, they've hired this young playwright who's never written a play before. He's a truck driver, and he's written this beautiful play. And um, they've all risked, because they think it's so great, they've all risked their reputations and everything to come and work on this play. So act one of the play is all about the, uh, it's opening night in the tryout in Boston, and they're all excited and full of congratulations to each other and nervous energy and, you know, what this play might be and uh, the love that they have for it. Then act two, of course, is um, right after the play has opened and, and the result of that opening performance and how they all turn on each other. Right. And then the last act has a resolve that I won't give away, but it takes us back to the joy of the beginning of the play. So if you're a theater lover who loves, um, you know, who loves theater people and theater stories and backstage stories, this is a great one. Uh, it's very, very funny. Um, so... Um, I can't remember what your specific question was about. about no, no, that that's exactly what I wanted yeah, to get okay. into was sort of the, the, the synopsis of the play right. or the, the style of it. Um, the, so t tell me how you guys, is, is it, is it, are you doing it in period? Yes. Is it a very, is it a sort of a traditional? You, you kind of have or? to, you yeah. kind of have to. I mean, it, there's so much that's rich about it, yeah. you know, the, uh, and, um, yeah, we're, we're doing it in period. Blair Williams is directing it mm -hmm. and it's, um, it's lovely because we can, um, theatrically, we've sort of decided to make the, the hotel another character. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's, it's an old-fashioned box set in terms of what the demands of the play are. We're only in one room. Mm -hmm. But um, there, uh, our approach is um, to f feel what is special about being in a hotel, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's been fun to, to work on that. There's also, a, which I didn't mention, there's also a group of Shriners that are having a convention <laughs> in that hotel uh, at the time of the play, so they create some shenanigans, and and we maximize that as well. Delightful. Yeah. Uh, so, where did you start when with Blair to come up with the? Uh, I mean, you talked about the the, the hotel as a as a character. Mm -hmm. um, how did you carry that forward? How, does the does it change throughout the production? Like, does it change from act from scene one to scene no, two? No, no. We're, we're we're what the play asks for is a is a room in the uh, a suite of rooms in the Ritz Carlton Hotel. Mm -hmm. So it's the the leading lady and her mother are sharing this suite of rooms, and mm -hmm. all the action comes into the room, and um, uh, we don't change the set. Right. But we do show you the hotel. We have uh, Ben and Beth, who you mentioned earlier, are the video designers on this, and we do go on a bit of a journey outside the hotel and inside the hotel. So it's a lot of fun. Um, this room keeps getting um, referenced back to, but we go, we get there. So we have to get through the hotel to get there. So it's 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 uh, interesting. It's an interesting. It's an interesting way into the piece because the piece, you know, these kind of big. Um, plays of this era, the curtain goes up and they have a sense of glamour and all of that. Yeah. But sometimes I feel there's a tendency that the air can go out of the room as soon as the curtain goes up because the anticipation and expectation, while the audience loves what they see, it takes a while for them to hear what they want to hear, you know, because they, they and and the actors have to get it started. And, you know, sometimes there's um, a little bit of storytelling before the first joke. You know, that's all I'm saying. So this kind of gives us a little bit of a bridge in, and it and it's working so far. So that's delightful. Yeah. Um, how do you find working under the structure of uh, a large machine like this, where you have to make a lot of decisions really early uh, <laughs> and then commit to them because it's built and all of a sudden yeah. painted before you get actors on stage? Yeah. Um, do you find that has that gotten old? <laughs> I mean, obviously now you're used to it, right? Yeah. But uh, is there uh, what what kind of um, other ways that you that you work to give yourself the maximum number of cho uh, choices um, as late as you can, mm -hmm. um, and and how what what uh, what techniques do you use to sort of make sure you've got like Plan B? Right. Right. Well, you, you know, you've you've hit the nail on the head about that's what working in rep is. You know, because you've got so many shows in the season. And they all get produced one after the other and then put on a shelf and then they go into rehearsal and they get brought off that shelf and get teched. And, you know, so, yes, my deadlines for um, for Light Up the Sky was before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, um, you know, you have to troubleshoot as much as you can and think about, you know, uh, every possibility as much as you can. And. You know, uh, you know, you can't be excessive. You you have to, you know, you can't build contingencies into your design that, well, well, I'll just do five more chairs, and if they don't need them, well, that's okay. <laughs> you know, no, you have to, you have to, you have to justify every penny you're spending. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I think 
being through this process so many times, I think I ask better questions when I'm working with the director. I try to try to find out where they want to go and where they really don't want to go. Because if I know where they really don't want to go, I can kind of um, put a little more contingency around where they want to go, you know, or at least e even if it's something that I don't express to anyone else, but it's in my choices of things, you know, I go, well, it could be used this way or that way, you know, or uh, uh, land on a color chart that allows me more flexibility when I have more information. Mm -hmm. You know, those are kind of personal to the artist ways of dealing with that. Um, you know, knowing the spaces and knowing what can happen in them and where you can get stuck is a good thing to, you know, you can arm yourself with that, but that only happens from making some mistakes. <laughs> right. That was going to be my next, my next question. What, um, what are the kind of big mistakes that new designers new to the rep situation and new to this venue venue make? Like what's a common assumption that they make that they, that, that's a pitfall for people who are coming into this process for the first time? Well, you know, that sounds like a good question, but in a way it's a bit cookie cutter of a question because our three spaces are so different or four spaces actually are so different. And, um, no two designers are alike in terms of what their experience has been up to coming to Shaw. Like, you know, we have a great big main stage. Not a lot of theaters have that. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a big um, presentation space. So designers who've never worked on that, I mean, we don't bring young designers in to do their first show there. Yeah. We, we bring them in and they, they are in other spaces and then they move there. Right. You know, so by the time they're on that main stage, they're not making those kinds of mistakes. They have some experience. Um, I mean, they're, hopefully they're doing something interesting and trying new things, but but they have um, they have an awareness of what that machine is. Um, the courthouse space, being a thrust stage, um, is very intimate, but it ha it's a very difficult space to work in because there's no storage or very little storage. And the storage that there is, you're sharing with three, two other shows or three other shows, so that makes your portion very small. Uh, there's no wing space, you know, all of that. So you have to be very creative. And usually the more challenging shows in the mandate end up in the courthouse. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, you're, you know, you're right away, you're, you're required to be, to be clever, but that the courthouse relates a little bit more to what a lot of young designers who might be working in Toronto might have to be dealing with. So they have some expertise to bring to that. So it's, uh, you know, you're kind of positioning them to succeed if you give them that space first. Mm -hmm. The same with the Royal George. The Royal George is our sweet spot, though. I mean, that is the easiest space to work in. The The sight lines of the audience are are so perfect with the opening of the proscenium. And it's a, it's a really unique stage, despite how tiny, tiny it is. Mm -hmm. You can create an illusion of grandeur that you can take a picture of something at the Royal George and you don't know what theater that's in, you could believe that was on the main stage because you can play with the height. And um, there's just so many tricks that you can do on, in that space that um, it's a lot of fun. So that, that's really my favorite space because it's uh, not that I don't love the main stage or the courthouse, but it, the George is it just, it feels like you're playing a really good instrument in there. <laughs> you're not challenged by it. It's, it's, it's um, helping you, you know, at every turn. So I really enjoy that space. That's terrific. I, I, uh, I spoke to Christine this morning and we had, we talked about the chocolate soldier. Oh yes. Which Lovely was show. one of the first shows yeah. I did here. And it was, that was exactly the thing. It looked like a giant set. Yeah. But when you get on stage, you only have what, 25 feet to the yeah. back wall yeah. or something. Yeah. Right? yeah. So to the pillar. To the pillar. That's <laughs> right. To the pillar. The pillar. Oh, <laughs> Uh, I know, try to fit like 400 lights above that is difficult. Yeah. Um, so the, let's just transition. The last thing I want to talk about is the, um, the assistant designer, the apprenticeship program, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that you manage and administer here. The, um, how do you approach um, hiring people into that position? Where are they usually found in their careers? And what's your philosophy about what you expect them to learn? and to be able to do once they arrive here? Um, well, that, that's a, that is a good question, Michael, <laughs> compared to the other one that I said wasn't good as I was judging your questions. Um, young designers, you, you, you used to want them to have a certain skill set, and they used to be... Um, 
you know, somewhere like Stratford or Shaw were the only places for young designers to go back then. But now it's not that way. They have, they can have film careers, they can have television careers and, and the kind of skills you need for film and television are not exactly the same as the theater. Mm -hmm. Although I always say, if you have theater skills, it's easy to go into film and television. If you don't have them, the, the road back is not easy. Um, uh, but, uh, um, so there, there isn't the same kind of, um, drive from a theater program into these bigger organizations. It's still, there's still a migration, but it, but it's not the only way you can get in. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't have from year to year, I don't have the same number of applications all the time. And you really want a student to be a good fit in that they are interested in learning the kind of work that we do. If you want to, uh, you know, if you're getting a, an applicant who who wants to be doing different kinds of work that we don't do on our stages, it's not gonna it's not gonna be a good fit. Mm -hmm. Even though there's lots for them to learn, and even though what there is to learn here will serve them well everywhere, it has to be some. The, you know, the passion has to be there as much as it has to be for the designer to be an assistant here, because you're not you're not being able to express yourself. You're contributing to other people's ideas. Mm -hmm. And you have to do it willingly and generously and the best that you can. And then you have to be willing to do it again if you didn't do it well enough. So that's, you, you need those character um, traits to come here. And, um, you know, uh, the, what is true about theater is it's, it's still here for those that want it. You know, any, any position that one is offered when they're young, there's the formality of the position and there's what they take from it. You know, they can take twice as much as is offered if they are interested and motivated. Mm -hmm. So that is still here. Um, I think it's important for young people to still have drawing skills, even though technology is there. I think you, you have to be able to just pick up a pencil and show somebody what you mean. And if you can't do that, you know, a lot of designers aren't, aren't as articulate as actors might be or as, you know, word uh, people that are playing with words all the time. But you have to be articulate with your pencil mm -hmm. in whatever way that is. And if you can't be articulate with your pencil, you better be really articulate with your keyboard and your mouse. Um, but, um, you know, that being said, we do want all those computer technologies, Auto, uh, AutoCAD if you have it, definitely Photoshop, you know, um, because that's what we're doing all the time. Those are the, the tools of the, of the day. We're still using watercolors, but we're also using the computer. So you have to, you have to be familiar with all of that. And, you know, you have to have a love for the theater. You have to love reading scripts. If you don't love reading a script, what are you doing working in the theater? Because it's all there. It's, it's, it's there to be enjoyed. It's there to be wondered at. It's there to be inspired by. And, and you know, um, so, so you, ha you have to be happy reading, you know, reading things. So that, that's important. And, you know, you have to be curious. If you're not curious, again, why are you in the theater? You know, because that's, if you don't have that element, what are, what are you going to bring to this that's new or fresh or interesting? Oh my God. Oh my God, <laughs> it's a job hard. offer. We're, we're an hour in. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we're an hour in. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off. That's, that's those right. are all terrific okay. things. The, uh, the uh, one final question, and this is sort of on the same kind of theme. Uh, if someone wants to go into theater, I mean, let's say the theater design in general, um, what do you think? Do you, first of all, do you think it's a good idea given <laughs> the current climate? Because I, I, mean, I spoke to a couple of people I've spoken to uh, in the, in according to the title block, uh, have been kind of negative in saying, look, like this is not the time to get into theater. Like you go mm -hmm. into something, go into make YouTube videos or yeah. find some other yeah. kind of way to express yourself. But uh, like, is that, is that a valid opinion or do you think that the opportunities exist and people can make it if, you know, if they try hard enough? What do you think, uh, what do you, if someone says, I want to go into theater, what would you tell them? Like, well, I think what's true has always been true and is still true that you, you have to go where you, where your heart leads you, you know, where your pat, you, you know, if you, if you are interested in exactly the kind of work that the Shaw Festival does, you don't want to go into film mm -hmm. because you're only going to get one, maybe four of those in a whole career, you know, working on a period film. Mm -hmm. So if period work is really what you want to do, Stratford and Shaw are the place to go mm -hmm. and, and, you know, find out how, what skills are required and, you know, and, and, you know, create, create your, invent yourself to be the person that should be working there. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many more choices now than there were when Christina and I graduated from NTS and, 
And, um, you know, if I was graduating now, I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily take the same trajectory, although I don't regret any of the choices mm -hmm. I made um, because those were all driven by my interests. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, we're all different. And um, if you have a, an opportunity to embrace technology and be exposed to technology, I would, I would take it. I mean, you know, um, it, you know, time does not stand still and, and development does not stand still. So you, you have to be living in the time that you're in, right? So I, I think it's not a, well, while I kind of have empathy for the people that say, oh, I don't know if it's such a good idea to get into theater. I understand exactly what they mean. You're never going to make a lot of money, you know? I'm not to say that you can't find a way to make a lot of money in a theater career, but that's a very different approach to the work and a very different effort that you're putting in. Um, but I, I, I just don't think the expectation that you can make a good living and everything will be fine. I, I don't think there's the stability that there used to be. Mm -hmm. So become diverse and become across as many um, different disciplines as you can. You know, and if I was a, I, if I was me starting out now, I would hope I'd spend more time thinking about becoming a director or, or doing those sorts of things because those barriers are not there anymore that were when I was in theater school. You, you had to kind of, you were fast-tracked in certain areas. So designers got this kind of training, actors got this kind of training. But um, I, I, think, um, I think we lost something with that. You know, I think there's, there's, um, there's room for a lot more kinds of directors than, than stage managers who become directors or actors who become directors. Well, all that's valid and important and, and, and it, you know, makes for a very strong theater community. I think the visual director is also very important, you know, and um, um, I, I think young people should be thinking about that too. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Bill. This okay. has been terrific. Thanks a lot. And that was designer William Schmuck speaking to me from his office at the Shaw Festival in May 2015. Next time, props designer Fina McDonald will join me. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It will help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at thetitleblockca and on facebook.com forward slash thetitleblockpodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on patreon.com. And feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you wonder how your assistant ever glued those little knickknacks on the shelf on the model because now that you're 40, you just can't get your fingers in there. Oh, oh there, there. I've gone and dropped it in the glue. Ugh. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on the Title Lock. <laughs> <laughs>